everybody, Chair City Church. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are happy to be here. So a few weeks ago, I'm on vacation in Emerald Isle. It's, uh, it's part of the Bogue Banks. It's below the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And, and uh, this Emerald Isle, it, it's comprised of about a 12-mile stretch of land. It's kind of like a rectangle, if you will. It's an, and on one side of the rectangle, rectangle is 12 miles long. And then the width is probably about a couple of thousand feet at most, 1,500 to 2,000 feet. One side is the beach, the ocean, and the other side is what they call the sound. It's just like a, ma it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's the sound, the bay, the marina. Uh, and today the land is worth, I'm going to say it might be a couple of thousand acres, uh, 2,500 acres. It's, it's almost all inhabitable, and it's mostly developed today. I would say the value of that land Today's dollars, oh, I'm just going to talk about a, a, a billions, without question, but I, I was trying to do the math based on a couple of properties I saw, 70, one was like a quarter of an acre, was it a quarter, yeah, maybe a, not even, uh, less than a quarter of an acre, they won like $175,000, I'm, I'm trying to do the math, it was like in billions of dollars today, that's what it's worth. Well, in 1946, Anita Malik inherited this massive property, this massive piece of land I'm telling you about from her father, Henry Ford. And then in 1951, I mean, that's like not so far ago, 1951, right? I, some of you were born, <laughs> you know, before, nine, Lloyd, you were born before 1951, uh, right? <laughs> so in 1951, Anita sells the whole property, right? Beach, marina land, everything, for $350,000. Yeah, she did that, she did. Huh? Now, if she was here today, knowing what we know, she'd be saying, what was I thinking, right? We do that. Make decisions based on a certain perspective, and we look back and like, whoa, what was I thinking? We're in week three of our series. What was I thinking? And in this message, we're bringing out these truths about God, who he is, his character. Some of you might be familiar with, but... Some of you, you might not be familiar with that these are the prominent characteristics of God. And for some who you might be familiar with it, maybe they're not prominent in your thinking, in your view, in your perspective of God like God intended, that he's more. God is more powerful. God is more present than you think. God is more loving than you can imagine. He's more holy and he's more active. And this is how God wants you to see him. And this is so important so that when you live out your day-to-day -day life and you come into those circumstances and situations and challenges, school, home, work, that as you engage that, you engage it from faith in a God who is more powerful, more present, more loving, more holy, and more active. It's so important that we have the proper perspective of who God is, not our sort of diluted or incomplete perspective. Now, in week one, we talked about God's power. Week two, God's presence. Today, I want to talk to you about God's love. God is more loving than we realize. And if you grasp that truth today, I tell you, it will change your life as it did mine. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And the scripture says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. 
Now, these Pharisees, they were religious leaders of Jesus' time. They saw it like their duty to keep track of people's behavior, especially when it came to the things related to God. Because you had the Bible, the Scripture, the Old Testament, the Torah, but you also had, and there were commands there and laws, but, but they had added rules and quote-unquote regulations to that as well. I think over 600 of them. And, and so they felt it was, their, and they saw themselves as righteous and favored before God, and therefore they had the license and authority to go out and, and, and not only first call people out when they were violating those laws, but also to distance themselves from those people. And thereby in their culture, others would distance themselves from that person when they committed a, a violation against these commands or rules. And some of them were truly a sin against God, all sins against God, or some of it might have been a violation of one of their really man-made rules. Now, there's one of these Pharisees is a guy named Simon. And Simon invites Jesus, who probably perceives Jesus as a rabbi, maybe a, a prophet, but he's inviting, I, I, my assumption is, what I'm proposing is he invites Jesus over his house for dinner to meet with him and his other Pharisee friends to just feel him out, to see where he's at, to, you know, to learn more about him. And you can see already that Simon has this mindset, really, that him and his Pharisaical friends are, are here, and Jesus is like somewhere over here. Already his picture and his view of Jesus is really insufficient and incomplete. So the guests start piling in, including Jesus, and then all of a sudden, they're settled in, and this uninvited guest comes in. And it's, it's a woman. It's this woman. And not in itself, a, a woman walking into, you know, these religious leaders' presence with Jesus there would be, would be startling. But let's, let's look into it a little more in verse 37. It says, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating with, at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. When it says she lived a sinful life, what the scripture is implying here is that she slept either with, she was sleeping with multiple men in her, in her days, and most likely it's implying that she was a prostitute. She knew who she was. She knew the religious leaders and their view of her. She knew of their, they had done a great job of condemning her, without question, of distancing themselves from her. Now, I wonder what's going on in her mind as she begins to enter the room, right? I mean, she knows she's going to come into it. I guess it's one thing to perceive what's going to happen, but then it happens. I mean, it's one thing to perceive, okay, I know they don't like me. I know, you know, uh, I'm, they think I'm less than them. I might even think at some point all my life that I've been less than them. I don't think well of myself, but, but, then, but I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to go in there. And then she gets in there, and there she's now. She's standing there before this group of people who think so less of her. Looks of scorn, looks of dismay, shock. How could you come in here? What are you doing in here? And these are not just that they don't think well of her and they think less of her. These people have the authority Certainly the influence to wreck her life, to wreck her life, to imprison her. These are the same people that facilitated Jesus being crucified on a cross. Imagine what they could do to her, right? But she doesn't turn back. She 
pushes forward past the hesitation, past the uncertainty, past the tension. She just keeps going. And she makes her way through and she gets into the presence of Jesus and she sits at his feet. Verse 38 says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. That perfume was a very expensive perfume. What was she, and she's crying, she's weeping, what, what's going on? I mean, and she's pouring it out, and she's thinking, you know what, uh, who I was, and even what I had to do to obtain this expensive perfume that was in my possession, perhaps, be emptying it out on Jesus, and just having the contrast of this is who I was, and yet this is what I am now, this is what I'm becoming, this is, this is the hope that I have before me right now that I'm leaning into. Forget about what these people are thinking and what they've assumed or concluded or judged me. This is who I am now. This is what I'm becoming now. This is now my identity. Your identity is not what people think you are. Your identity is not what you even want people to think of you. That's a personality thing. Your identity is who you believe you are. When it all slows down and it's calm and you're laying there at night and it's just you and you, who do you believe that you are? Verse 39, when the Pharisees who had invited him, Jesus, saw, saw this, this woman touching him, weeping him, the Pharisee Simon said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Wow. If he knew, if Jesus knew what she does, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go near her. If he was really a rabbi, if he was a prophet, if he was someone who knew God, he wouldn't go near her, let alone let this woman touch him. He would distance himself from her. She's a sinner. And then Jesus, he answered him. He answered Simon. <laughs> Scripture doesn't say Simon asked Jesus the question. Simon was thinking in his head, right? And then Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says to Jesus, tell me, teacher. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage. So 500 is about 500 days worth of work. And the other person owed the moneylender 50 denarii, about 50 days work. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not... Meet, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but, uh, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
It's a beautiful story of someone, of the love of God being forwarded to another person and the love of God being received. She was a recipient. She received God's love. When we talked about Anita Moloch there and Emerald Isle, right, we really want to give her a break because, you know, when she made that exchange of all that land for such little money for the most part when you consider its value, she didn't know one day there'd be a ferry going from that land to the mainland. She didn't know that one day there'd be bridges. She didn't know that one day the population would, would, would you know, grow there and it'd become an incredible vacation spot and it would be worth so much. If she had different information, she would have made a different deal. But here's Simon. I want you to get it. Here's Simon, and he's a Pharisee. A Pharisee spends the majority of their life learning about God, gaining knowledge about God, and representing God. And here in this moment in his life, the son of Jesus, fully man and fully God, is sitting in his house at his table across from him. And he's got a ton of love because Jesus is love, because Jesus is God and God is love. And Jesus has this ton of love for this woman, but as much for Simon. But Simon is not receiving that love, but the woman is. Jesus is wanting to give his love freely. Can you imagine if Simon would look back at that moment and he'd say, man, you know what? It, what was I thinking? It, it's just really, it, it's not how I viewed God. It's not how I saw God. I guess the way I viewed and saw God, I, I, I guess I didn't see him prominently, dominantly as a loving God. When I would go about my day with my knowledge of God mixed in and how I would interact with God and what I thought God was doing or would do, I guess I really didn't factor in. He's just more loving than anything else. He's a loving God. So Simon doesn't receive that love. Now the woman, she leaves the room filled with peace. And I'm going to add, probably likely joy, right? I think those tears are tears of joy. Tears of, tears of realization of who she can be. Of really who, I'm sorry, who she is. A child of God who's loved by God. Now, Simon, his life is stagnant. His life is stagnant. It's unchanged. Her life is transformed. God's love transforms our lives. Yeah, it must. Let me say, it must. When you are a recipient of the love of God, it transforms your life. So if you are receiving, a rece- if you love God and he loves you, and he, you can't love him unless he loves you first. You got to get that. You love God because he first loves you. And, to, and as you participate in that love, that depth, the deep, the width, the strength of that love, it's going to change your life. Because nothing, just like that woman, she pushes past it all because it's God's love that she's going to be a recipient of. It's God's love that she's hearing of. It's God's love that she's going to experience. So nothing is worth more to you than God's love. Nothing changes you and affects you comforts you more than God's love. God's love transforms our life. God's love can take you from being insecure to secure. 
We all have insecurities. I have insecurities. I think a good number of pastors have insecurities. They don't tell me. It's just some insight that I have, right? I'm a little uneasy sometimes when, if I'm in a group and they say, okay, we want everybody to stand up right now and uh, just say who they are and say something about themselves. I'm like, oh, gosh. I do. I get a little, I get a little nervous. Like, okay. I like start pract- I start practicing my name to myself. David, Tr- Dave, David Trelongo, you know? <laughs> no, 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 Dave. I'll say Dave. Dave Trelongo. Don't say, don't say too low, right? That's me. I've got these insecurities, huh? I'm chopping away at them. The, the more I dwell in the love of God, uh, the more... I'm transcended from those. And I'm going to tell you, when it's something that's really like a, a big deal, I just do. I stop and say, David, Dave, it's not you, it's God. And I do. I dwell in who God is, and I dwell on his love for me. And I just say, there's nothing more important than anything else, but right now you know God loves you, right? God knows our insecurity. She pushed past. That woman, she pushed past all of that. God loved her in her sin, and in her weakness, and God loves you in your insecurity, and in your weakness, and in your sin. He loves you. Insecurity incites fear. It does. Insecurity incites and provokes fear in us. Insecurity invites comparison to other people. But perfect love drives out all fear. Huh? Jesus is perfect love. Jesus lived a sinless life, the only one to walk the face of the earth and lived a sinless life. And therefore, he was perfect love and therefore he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be made right and whole before God. For God so loved us. God's love transforms your insecure thoughts to a secure thing. And this is important because to the extent that you're secure is to the extent that you can really, I believe, let me say it another way so it's more orderly. To the extent that you have re- that received God's love, that, that you have dwelt in God's love, experienced it, it's to the extent that you're going to be secure. I believe this. And I've seen it. And now, to the extent that you're secure, is going to be the extent that you could really love others. As much as you think you love others, if you are insecure, you're not loving them as they would desire you would love them. And if they're also insecure, well, then you're you're in a cluster there because they might not even know what it is to truly be loved. So whatever you're giving them and they're giving you, it's 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 of a degree that is so far short than what God created you both for. But when we're secure... In God's love, now we can love others. Why? Because when we're secure in God's love, we are more apt to look outside ourselves. When, we're, when we are just overwhelmed with insecurities or, or hindered with insecurities, weighed down with insecurities, what's going to happen now is we're just going to be, we're going to be just like I'm doing, you know, right there at that place. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, man, okay, when I go, I'm going to say my name this way, this tone. I, yeah, light example, but I'm thinking of me. So insecurities can become deeper and broader and, and, and more serious. And what's happening now is we're thinking of ourselves. They force us 
to turn into ourselves, to look to ourselves. And when you're doing that, you're seeing a lot. You're filtering everything through that, and therefore you're going to be limited and hindered on to consider others, to understand others, the fact of where others are in at that time in their life. And so it, it, it's going to hinder the extent that you could love others. Does that make sense? But when you're secure in God's love, man, then, then you could freely, you could be kind. Freely, you could pause and, and, and think, well, what, what, you know, what, what happened here? Tell me just what happened. Why did, did, did I do something? You know, like I take care of my kids. You first ask when somebody has done something that hurts you, that's offended, that bothers you. Always ask. Always find out if you've done something that's contributed to that. And then next, think, is there anything you could do to help the situation? And then last, one productive, unnecessary, and good and timely, then bring some correction, bring some resolution. But you can only do that if you're secure emotionally, secure spiritually. You can only do that. And I'm going to tell you, that, that's healthy relationship right there, right? All right, I went way forward for my notes. It's important to know that God's love transforms our insecurity to security, that God's love transforms our striving to resting. <laughs> Just somebody get this today. Striving to resting. Look, our world is constant. It's, it's relentless. One thing to the next. Things are always changing. That's not how it works with God's love. God's love is forever. God's love is absolute. God's love is resolute. It doesn't change. It is perfect. It is constant. You see, when you, in, in a religious way of thinking, you might not realize you see different levels and degrees of God's love. And, and you'll know it's there from one or two ways. One, you might look at people like perhaps a minister or Mother Teresa or a Billy Graham and think, okay, well, they, they you know, have this kind of, they're more favored of God or, or God must love them more to some degree, think more of them, more valuable. And it's just not true. God loves you as much as God loves them. But see, here's the thing. If you have that way of thinking, then inevitably you're going to have the other way of thinking. And that is you see people who, aren't below you, but that same way of, that same lens will also see people that are below you. It's impossible to not do both. If you do one, you do any other. And then you see people and you think, okay, they're below you, right? And, and you think because of the way, you know, who they are and the way they live. You know, they're sinners. They're, look at, you know, how they live out their life. And they, these people aren't as good in God's eyes. They're not as valuable to God. Right, And therefore, inevitably, really, the way we do our math, they must be loved less. You might not say that, but it's how you're going to internalize it. And that's because we're looking through this life with, with our own lens. It's a religious lens. But it's not, and, and, it's gonna, and, and it affects the way we see people, and therefore it affects the way we see God. It's a distorted, inaccurate view of God. God loves us. He loves us all the same. His love is perfect and it is for all. Do you hear me? There's nothing you can do to inch your way up the ladder to gain more of God's love. There's nothing you can do to get less of God's love. So then why do we give? Why do we sacrifice? Why do we serve? Not because it's not what we get, but it's who he is and what he's done because of his love. We have received God's love. 
Why did she burst into that room? Why did she pour out the perfume? Why did she give? Because she's a recipient of the love of God. Right? And the Pharisees, I'm telling you, they're, they're in this mindset of religious thinking of what to get, what to gain. Who's better? Who's worse? Who's less? Who's more? We need to seek God so we can know his love. Put right there. What would your relationship with God look like today if you sought God to know his love? Not to coach you through a bad time. Not to motivate you to make you feel better about your circumstances. He's Jesus the Savior. He's not Jesus the life coach. I'm cool with life coaches. I even injected and said, but, but he's Jesus, your Savior. He's Jesus, fully God, fully man. He's Jesus who loves you, whose love is perfect, whose sacrifice was perfect. Seek God for his love more than anything else. I'm not saying it's bad or poor to seek God to just feel relief in your situation to be comforted no i'm not saying it's not not at all i'm not saying it's not good to seek god for maybe for something greater in your life and job position or, or for direction no but what i'm saying is more than anything else seek god for his love you know why because god is love he is love what would that do is that what to, to your prayer life? What would it do to your communication with God? What would it do to how you read the scripture? What does it do to your view of your relation with God right now? We need to seek him so we could rest in that love. See, then we could rest in that love and it can move us from striving to resting. Last, God's love transforms. It transforms guilt and shame to forgiveness and saved. Plenty of us, we land on this one. There's a ton of what was I thinking under the category of guilt and shame. What was I thinking in that moment? What was I thinking that night? What was I thinking in that season in my life? What was I thinking when I entered into relationship with this person, huh? This can lead to a mindset that is plagued and clouded and maybe layered with guilt and shame, kind of like if you will a plaque on, on a tooth. It, it's just decaying that tooth. That's what happens with guilt and shame. It just builds. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have fallen short. We have all fallen short. I have sinned. The only one that has walked this earth that did not sin, that did not fall short, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. And he came here because God loves you. And he came here to display his great love for you. Even while we were falling short, the Bible says, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinning, yet sinning, Christ died for us. That's love. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only Jesus can save us. Faith in Jesus. We have various reactions when we do things, behave. And by the way, what caused us or prompted us to 
behave in a way that's sinful, that misses what God has called. It's a myriad of reasons. It could be a result of us being mistreated and now we're mirroring that. It could be from a time of just a, a deprivation and stress. It could be just a, 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 a habitual way of living immoral. All different things contribute to this. And yet we have various ways of dealing with, and, and it, does, it does bring at times guilt and shame more than not. And what, the way we deal with it often is we might go into a denial, right? Or we deflect. Sometimes we shift the blame onto other people. We often come to justify, you know, due to circumstances, this is what I'm doing here. But as this is happening, often there's a, there's a buildup, there's a plaque that's building up of shame and guilt, shame and guilt. We see this, Christian and I, we see it in people that come from broken families. We see it often in people that come from divorced marriages, you know. There are times I got to sit down and tell people, okay, listen, you're, you're carrying this so long. You're not seeing your life from God's love and his grace. We see it in people who have come through years and years and years of addiction and then to come out of it and then to begin to face the reality of what's gone on. Conversation I had last week with somebody, look at all that was lost, look at all the pain, and you could see the guilt and the shame start to build up and it's like pause Seek God for all his love, yes? Find forgiveness and find salvation. <laughs> He's not a God of guilt and shame. He's a God of forgiveness and salvation. Do you hear that? Because what happens was, if, we, if you don't do that, if you don't seek God's love first and, 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 and dwell in that and, and get that, you're going to run. The weight of the shame, the weight of the guilt is going to be so overwhelming to you. And people, you're going to move. You're going to shift. You're going to run. You're going to move out. It's going to be too much. Even, like I said, even if the circumstances that have lent you to be where you are and do what you do were so overwhelming, maybe your culpability is less than more. But you're going to internalize this as you're less and not more. If you're in here today, say this happens sometimes, right? happened to me. I lived out my life mostly from guilt and shame because of stuff that had happened to me. And it's not so much that I had guilt and shame from that. I, I think I did. That was part of my identity. But then I would make choices and do things, and that would kind of like just pile on my, you know, the way I acted, the way I behaved, the way I thought, you know. It would just pile it on. You see? And we run. But you don't have to run. Today, you don't have to run anymore. Today, you can just come before God. I want to read you a scripture from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's such a beautiful bunch of words. It says this. This was written like 2,000 years ago. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. It didn't say God's throne of gold, God's throne of diamonds. It said God's throne of grace. God's throne is made of grace. Did you hear that? Let us approach that throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God with a boldness and a confidence. Why? Because he loves us. (laughs) He loves you. This is where... We no longer have to run, but we can be rescued. 
This is where that shame and guilt that's been driving us away from God and his love and been hindering us from receiving love that is beyond understanding. Receiving a love that just now dwarfs and diminishes all that has happened in our lives. It becomes so minuscule compared to his love. God loves you. Today receive that light, that love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 says this. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he, God, will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Jesus Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, right? It's so deep, it's so wide, it's so powerful, you just can't grasp it mentally and logically but i'm telling you you can feel it baby you can feel it okay you can experience it you may not be able to articulate it you may not be able to understand it but you can feel it then you'll be made complete with all the fullness and life and power that comes from god today stop running Stop running from the pain. Stop running from any guilt. Stop striving. Stop being insecure. Today, turn to Jesus Christ and his love for you. Do you hear me? See, when you turn to him, you could be there for others. And there's nothing like experience your life being used by God for others. I think one of the ways you can measure to the extent that you're knowing God's love is how you are loving others. I think to the extent that you are grasping and feeling and experiencing God's love is intended is to the extent you're going to be able to love others, right? God had loved me. He first loved me, so now I can love others. And I can do so in extraordinarily sacrificial ways. And in doing so, I come out of the limitation of Dave Trelongo, and I become someone who God will glorify himself through. Do you hear me? I come out of a broken little boy who's been abused in all sorts of ways, and instead I become this person that God could use powerfully and incredibly because God loves me, and now I will love others. Do you understand? That's a beautiful way to, that's, that will transcend anxiety, depression, I'm telling you, I'm not diminishing anything, I've had taste of it all, this, this, this is a stronger high than anything you'll experience, and I've had my taste of a lot of them, this is an incredible moment when you realize God has loved me, and now I have, I have loved another beyond really anything I could have thought I could do. Know God's love. Know it. Love comes from God because God is love. First John chapter 4, 7 and 8 says, God is love. We created, he created us to love him. The only reason we're able to love is because he is love. He showed us his love by sending Jesus Christ, his son, to die for us. Listen, today, become secure in his love. Rest in his love. <laughs> yes, rest in his love. Find forgiveness in his love. Move forward in his love. I want you to stand with me as we close out and listen to this song. My prayer right now, God Almighty, is that you would grasp each one of you how much God loves you. And as you're just, as that's coming upon you, your, your insecurities will be diminished. 
your restlessness and anxiousness to strive and keep things together will be diminished. Your, your guilt and your shame will be diminished in Jesus' name that it would just leave you as you would see that God, a sovereign God, an almighty, all-loving God has brought you to this moment that he is present with you, an all-powerful God is present with you. He's more powerful and more present than you are thinking, but now you know. Seek God to love God, not for a problem, not for an ailment, not for something that needs to be fixed, not for something that needs to be better. Seek God to love God, for he is worthy. To God be the glory.